fellow deep thinkers. Welcome to Deeper Meaning Time. Today is episode 14. And before um, I get going, I want to thank all of my listeners uh, for listening. Those of you that have clicked on, that you, uh, you've you sat through the ad, thank you so much uh, for the support, for the listen. I really appreciate it. We are qu- quickly uh, and slowly at the same time, surely but slowly. Uh, we are growing uh, as a community and as a as a show, as a channel, and we have surpassed uh, over a thousand listens on the show. Um, <clears throat> and, and you know this little and this is a little show and a little community, but we are steadily growing it into something larger than ourselves, and it's all thanks to you. And that is the goal here on DMT to grow a large community of deep thinkers that just want to understand more of the life that surrounds them and and to push our government and our world into a change that will be the greatest change in human history. And it will be all thanks to you guys. Um, And thank you in particular to Spotify and Apple listeners. You guys, oh, you guys hold the majority of the listens on my show. So, and and just thank you all. Um, And you guys, I'm sorry about taking so long to upload this episode. It's been about three weeks. It's just the wintertime blues, you know? I'm sure, I don't know if they're hitting you guys or not, but uh, they were giving me, it's just been giving me no motivation. Um, But I have been doing some research and I've been watching some TV and, uh, well, I've been, uh, well, I haven't been uploading, but... uh, I'm also trying to get guests on the show, and I'm still getting my studio uh, set up and ready to record. So things have just been a little hectic recently, but uh, I'm back here this week. And uh, today we will continue our discussion on UFOs, and we're going to expand it a little further into some theories and ideas on how and why UFOs come and go. And uh, and I'll try to connect the UFO sightings um, of the 1900s and today to some actual possibilities you can think on. Instead of reading or hearing about some ridiculous conclusion to the sighting or, or to the story. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so I've been watching the, the new History Channel show, Project Blue Book. Uh, it stars Aidan Gillen, or uh, who he's best known as, is Peter Baelish from Game of Thrones, um, which I love Peter Baelish. Oh my goodness. And uh, But Aiden, he does a really good job. He plays uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who I've brought up here before. Um, on the, a couple of different episodes, but uh, Heineck is, um, like I've said before, one of the biggest names in ufology. And uh, for those of you that don't know, he uh, was born in Chicago on uh, May 1st in 1910, and he died in April of 86. And uh, he was a professor, and uh, he held a degree in astronomy, um, but he is best known for being a, a ufologist. And, uh, and he's best known for mostly for just heading uh, the scientific research of Project Blue Book, um, Project Sign, and Project Grudge for the U.S. Air Force. Uh, He also started the Center for UFO Studies in 1973 and is uh, well known for doing that, and that actually kept up for a while. I don't know if it's still ongoing, if they still uh, are an active um, group or nonprofit organization or not, but... uh, and it's cool that he did so much uh, to benefit the UFO community, and it's so cool he did so much to uh, open this, to, to really bring UFO studies and uh, the whole nature of it to light. The entire phenomenon um, was really just, it, it held on Hynek's shoulders, and he he showed it to the world. He did a really good job of it. And um, in the History Channel show, it did a fantastic job of uh, recreating the Lubbock Lights incident in Lubbock, Texas. It was uh, definitely something I didn't actually know about, um, but it was definitely a really good retelling of it. I think it was episode uh, two or three. Uh, I'm not quite sure what episode uh, we're on now, but uh, the episode about the Lubbock Lights um, was really just intriguing. Uh, And for, for the fact of the matter that I just had no idea anything about it. So it was totally new to me, and uh, so I'll share with you guys if you haven't heard about it either, just some information from it. Um, but uh, so, uh, uh, and I'm not really sure what the the uh, dates were. I, I didn't really, I didn't get a whole lot of the deep information out of it. But basically, in uh, Lubbock, Texas, there was a large V-shaped craft with uh, dozens of lights, and it was spotted on multiple nights. Um, and some different things happened uh, when this craft was spotted, and it was it was spotted by thousands of the residents of Lubbock. Um, it, uh, and during which the craft was flying overhead, there was a, a power grid 
surge and uh, and the power had gone out and um, two professors I thought this was really interesting two professors from the nearby college uh, sat outside one of their homes and they actually watched on one of the nights uh, the craft fly overhead and uh, <clears throat> and the uh, the day after the first reported incident the Air Force sent Heineck to research the event and uh, this is basically where the episode begins and so upon arriving, Heineck uh, basically finds a professor at, a, at the college who had claimed to figure out that the sighting and, uh, and the ridiculous evidence was discussed throughout Lubbock. And the conclusion was made that the lights were birds called plovers and that the new street lights of Lubbock were reflecting off of the bottom of the birds flying overhead. Well, I mean, some of the residents of Lubbock decided that that was the worst solution that they had thought of yet. And uh, several residents wholeheartedly believed that what they saw was a large uh, spacecraft, a large alien craft, uh, whatever. And even the two professors who were outside, when they both saw it, um, both of them claimed that it was not birds. That had it been birds, they would have heard them overhead and uh, that they wouldn't have moved as fast as they moved. They claim that clovers, uh, clovers, plovers have like a max speed, I think of 35 miles per hour. And these lights um, were going way faster. People are people were claiming like 80 to 80 to 100, um, saying that the lights were very fast and silent. And uh, the biggest proof that the, that debunks the plover hypothesis is the fact of, of uh, what the residents saw that night just moved at speeds that birds aren't capable of doing so like that that alone right there shows that you know, it wasn't some freaking birds and uh and the sh and uh, so the sh the episode does a a good job of, of explaining that nobody really believes that plovers are the the explanation um, except for the government, of course, the government goes and runs with the um, runs with this hypothesis, and it's just terrible. Um, and so the, the show it the show shows that uh, Heineck was there in Lubbock during the second flyby, and, and whether or not um, that was just for cinematics or not. But after witnessing the lights, Heineck firmly believed that it was a UFO. Now, I've seen a full report of this incident, but the show has Heineck and his assistant being debriefed by um, by the sitting general, I think it was Nathan Twining at the time, um, who said to Heineck that the bird hypothesis was to be the final story and that he wouldn't accept anything else from Heineck that supported a UFO hypothesis. And, um, and even saying uh, at the end of the episode that Heineck even asked too many questions. And uh, I just think that even if this wasn't accurate, that it's still accurate to a degree because I, you know, I believe that the colonels and the higher up military personnel, they all have a strict no discussion rule on UFOs, which helps nobody. But uh, so this was really just a little synopsis of the episode um, of uh, it's called Project Blue Book, and uh, it's a History Channel show. It comes on on Tuesdays, uh, like ten. I highly recommend it. It's really good. Um, <clears throat> and especially with Aiden Gillen. I mean, you can't you can't get any better than that. But now I also wanted to, to get into Project Blue Book as a whole because it's the most widely heard of project. But you may not have a lot of knowledge on the things that the project really got into. And uh, so it was created in 52, and it was the last of the Air Force's projects that studied UFOs. And by the time it ended, it had studied 12,618 projects. Uh, most of which were, um, the conclusion was, was they were just misidentified aircraft or clouds or something else natural that people just misidentified. And, uh, however, 701 of the reports were never identified. So my thought is if there's a small percentage of non-identified objects that we can't definitely say that, are, that are UFOs, um, then it's you know, then it's a real phenomenon. Like, it, it has to be. If there is even 1% of something weird going on that we can't put our finger on, then that, it, that 
clearly proves that the, there is something going on and, and there needs to be more investigation. And, and even Hynek himself didn't believe that this was a real phenomenon. But after working for the government, he realized that this was a very real thing that needed his full attention and everyone else's full attention. And, uh, and it seems like once you get into it, you realize just how real this subject is. And uh, I even had my girlfriend the other day tell me, you know, that she was like, oh, you know, I think I could be interested in listening to, you know, some of this alien stuff. Um, I think I could get my head around it. Um, but and once you once you get a taste and once you realize that there is something weird going on, it just uh, it just begs more questions and more questions. Um, and so Project Blue Book was headquartered at, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And, and Wright-Patterson is supposed to be uh, home to spacecraft and to bodies of aliens. And <clears throat> I, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether they do or not. But however, I do have an old friend who is in the Air Force out of Wright-Pat. And uh, we had asked him one night and we all got together if he learned anything cool while working there. And he said very seriously, and this he's not a serious guy, but uh, you know he was looking at us and he said, you guys, there are things I can't tell you that I am not allowed to discuss. And, uh, and we had hounded him and hounded him and he said nothing, you know, he, he blew it off and uh, almost as if it was a protocol, you know, that he knew exactly how to do it. Um, and so if you remember the last episode, I had discussed the Robertson panel and their decision to make sure any and all military and government personnel never discuss the topics of UFOs or aliens. And uh, this was after they decided that the final conclusion to the subject was that aliens should be discredited and the public interest lessened on the topic. And, uh, and here, maybe we have a small proof from my old pal that the cover-up that the Robertson panel started is still ongoing. Um, but so even after they shut down Project Blue Book, UFO reports kept coming in, and uh, and that was dealt with, uh, you know, just through typical military procedures um, that they had set up for UFOs. Um, but the agencies that dealt with these reports, uh, they were never identified until until 2007 when Louis Elizondo headed the Advanced Aviation Threat Detection Program, which ran until 2016 when Louis came out with this info uh, on the air in December. And so uh, the AATIP was the first after decades of quiet uh, like observation from our military to just watch and research UFOs once again. So the things that are happening under our noses, we will not be aware of for decades more than likely. But if our government is still observing and studying them, then they need to advance to a point where hypothesis and conclusions can be discussed widely with the general public. I mean, us 99 percenters deserve the truth and we deserve to make educated decisions with the government you know, based on what they find um, from studying and observing. You know, something that is someone else's, it's, it's something that is someone else's job. It's their job to do it while we do our jobs. And, uh, you know, but what, but why can't we all just team up to, to figure this out together? We should all be a part of it. We're all here. This isn't just one person's life. This is billions and billions of people's lives. Um, and, and so there have been sightings and, uh, and there will continue to be sightings for a while until something is done about their existence. And, and something should be done if these craft are invading and scouting out military bases. And, and even after Project Blue Book was closed, the military had still had reports of dozens of UFO encounters at military bases that housed nuclear weapons. And so if the Robertson panel is going to sit there and say, oh, you know, no, no UFOs at any time have ever been a threat to national security, then they're completely lying because there are ton, tons of reports of, of UFO encounters at bases that held our nuclear weapons. That's so dangerous, so sketchy. Um, and there are several reports that you can even listen to witness testimonies of on the Serious, Dis uh, Serious Disclosure YouTube page, where they described power going down at the missile silos, warheads being deactivated um, as craft flew overhead. Um, and the reports, they're, they're detailed and, uh, and, and they're numerous. 
And the reports, even when read, will give you this eerie feeling. As you can tell that there's fright and panic that's ensued at these bases because of the dangerous nature of keeping nuclear missiles there. While UFOs are outside shutting down the silos or causing other disruptions. You know, so like the, the, the nature of what is going on is, is it's actually getting to people. So, you know, this is a real problem, a documented real problem. I mean, you guys understand that, right? So for much of the Robertson panel's idea to force a discredit of these sightings, but yet, um, you know, many military officials are tense and they're stressed because of what is taking place. So let's reverse the Robertson panel's decision to keep this quiet. Instead, we open the lid and you get everyone interested and involved so we can make steps towards you know, further development on the understandings of the technologies that they possess. You know, how is it that they're shutting down these military silos? How are they getting access? You know, is, is it just simple um, you know, signals they're sending out, jamming signals? You know, there needs to be more done to understand it, not just look at it or just let it happen. But we'll never be able to do that unless we can all, you know, come together. And I mean, we'll be able, you know, here sooner or later, we'll be able to send information so quickly with 5G. And with it coming out within the next few years, we need to evolve our means of, you know, power transmission, of generation, uh, power generation. Um, we need to evolve all kinds of things, quantum computing, so that we can evolve with 5g uh, and and that may come just by studying in depth ufos and uaps to understand their own means of power generation maybe they're doing something we never thought of <clears throat> and i think that with talks of moving power generation to dc is that's pretty cool um, it's really innovative but i think what that does is even further reverse our progress and uh, Tesla, Tesla, the father of AC generation, knew that AC generation was not the purest means of generation. And he even writes um, I, in one of his books that he knew that what he was um, handing over to Westinghouse and what he was giving to Edison was, was junk. He, he wasn't providing them the purest means of generation. Um, and I'm not sure that he ever really fully assembled the plans for that or that there ever really were i i think he just knew and uh and i think we're missing that um but however dc power um is even less of a useful means of generation than ac uh, but yet some claim dc is the future and they claim dc to be more application specific than ac but i still beg the question why are we still using either you know, why haven't we fully funded and developed wireless electricity transmission and generation? It seems like we're moving backwards, not forwards. And, and that's an issue on top of that our overindulgent nature drives us to create more and more. And that's just polluting. Just to generate power, we're causing so much pollution. And then we're drilling for oil and we mine the earth of its resources. At the least we could do is, is stop polluting and you know by doing that would we we need to understand how to create a different power source and uh, I don't you know have you guys even heard about the recent paper published about the the huge hole in Antarctica well so I guess over the past 25 years scientists have been carefully studying the Thwaites glacier um, in Antarctica and they have found out that, in particular, over the last three years, the glacier has retreated over 14 billion tons of ice. And guys, this glacier is a part of a much larger, uh, the West Antarctic ice shelf. And, uh, and, but it, yet it has been detaching slowly, um, about a half a mile off of the ice shelf every year. And, and so now the hole that's been left behind due to the melting um, and the retreating is over two thirds the size of Manhattan. It's huge. 
and it's estimated that the melting has caused 10% of the annual global sea level rise. And uh, I read that if all the ice of Thwaites Glacier melted, that it would raise sea level by almost two feet. And uh, I don't know if you guys have looked into the thing, if you don't know if you've like read a paper or watched a, a video, a news, a news, uh, a news segment from a different country where there are people that live on the coast um, where sea level, where the sea level itself is really low. And um, basically the water, the oceans as they rise and they're just eating away the coastlines. I mean, completely devouring coastlines, forcing people inland. Um, it's it's ruining fishing in some countries. It's, it's ruining all kinds of things. It's a huge, huge problem. Um, and the underlying cause of this this melt is heat and heat you know not only generated by our own doing but by the earth's natural cycle but we are greatly accelerating it and adding to it and to me all we need is a different type of electricity generation something different entirely so that in years to come global sea levels don't rise 10 feet due to the entire west antarctic ice shelf melting away Guys, we have the ability, we have the power to change, but we won't. Researchers and scientists say that their motto is how much and how fast. Like, that's insane. How about we look at fixing the problem, not just staring at its effect? Like, that's a no-brainer, guys. And if we can change that, then that will change the world. And, and at the moment, you guys may have started seeing... The things like your AT&T phone, if you have AT&T, it says 5GE. Well, first off, you need to know that's, that it's just faster 4G. Uh, that basically they're just renaming it. It isn't true 5G. We're still waiting for true 5G in smaller cities around the country. I think there's only like six actual cities that have true 5G wireless. And not to mention, your phone must contain a 5G wireless receiving you know, chip, diode, whatever it is. Um, but 5G is a completely different beast than the 4G we use now. And uh, I had a pretty long discussion with a contractor for Ericsson recently, one of the uh, world's largest uh, <coughs> telecommunications providers. And, um, and he told me that the speeds of 5G are dependent upon the 5G receivers, which he said will eventually be installed everywhere, every mile or so, all around your city. Uh, but until then, you don't have actual 5G. But so my wonder is how much more dangerous electromagnetic frequencies are gonna be radiating from our phones and from receivers and these transmitters. I mean, it's already proven that electromagnetic radiation can give you types of cancer. I mean, this is, this is pretty scary. And we're just willy-nilly installing more and more and more of it. All this stuff that radiates frequency, radiates warmth. We're probably damaging more of the ozone, more of the atmosphere with all, this, all these frequencies than we, can even, than we even know about. You know, why the people that make the technology research it, but the research companies use the technology. Why would they research it? You know, it's like the same thing with like electricity, a research company who needs electricity to run research. Why would they then research electricity? So, I mean, you know, we're just, nobody's thinking. It's what it seems to me. And I mean, in years, we might find out that all of a sudden we all have autism or we all have cancer or something. There's going to be repercussions from this tech. Um, I definitely believe that. Um, and it too is probably helping to accelerate climate, the, the, the current climate change catastrophe on, that's, that's ongoing. It's, um, and it's just like they, it's like they say vaping, you know, how vaping isn't safe because there isn't any scientific research done. You know, well, how much research do we do on the other tech? I don't know if we're doing enough or if any at all. But, uh, God, this world and this life is just bizarre. Seriously, I'm always wondering if we're all doing the right thing. And never do I say, yeah, we sure are. Uh, but, uh, but back to Project Blue Book. Um, so there was a special report 
done by the Battelle Memorial Institute in Columbus. It's about an hour away from Wright Pat. Um, and it's called the Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14. And it was an extensive statistical analysis of the UFO sightings reported during Project Blue Book. About 3,200 reports were detailed um, in this final special report, number 14. The Institute also created its very own statistical way of analyzing reports by placing them into categories from color to shape to duration of event. And uh, the details of each sighting was categorized and punched onto an IBM computer card. And it was then, uh, they were then able to, to put, you know, and sort of insert all these cards into these computers for it to run and spit out the statistics. And, uh, and they all read that 69% of the cases were marked as, as known, but 22% of them remained unknown. And in the case of the unknown reports, the higher quality unknown reports meant it would be classified as, as unknown. And 35% of them were classified as excellent, but they were deemed unknown. But the best part of this entire thing is, is that when it came when it came to the public in 55, people said it finally put to rest the topic by saying UFOs don't exist. However, the report clearly showed that, uh, that the unknowns were so distinctly different from the knowns and then the and at the same time the unknowns were so well documented that it made the evidence just very clear and uh, and that led a lot of people to believe that the possibilities are still there that ufos are are very real all the while the air force was downplaying the report saying that the unknowns were actually three percent while they were undoubtedly 22%. So there's always going to be skepticism and there's always going to be someone trying to cover up something. Why? You know, why, why, why? We don't necessarily know. And who knows if we'll ever find out a true answer. But all we can really do is push the disinformation to the, to the background and we can filter out the good information all the while pushing for the release of current information i mean i think that's just super important because clearly they'll just keep lying clearly we'll just keep playing ourselves it, and it makes no sense but uh but by both but so by 79 um france's gpan they that studies the french ufo cases they determined that the Project Blue Book report posed a real question to the topic of UFOs. After a quarter of 1,600 reports in France were determined to be unknowns. In the other French government study, Serpa, their director after Serpa was disbanded, he was so intrigued by the unknown cases that he wrote a book in 2005 uh, explaining the possibilities that these are indeed extraterrestrial visitors and so we've got we've got people that are writing books that believe this stuff wholeheartedly we've got people that are just nothing but skeptical we've got generals we've got colonels we've got majors we have all kinds of people that are downplaying this whose side do you choose Heineck we know Heineck's side um, and by the end of Project Blue Book, he was full of criticism regarding the Air Force's ability to conduct scientific research, uh, saying that there was promising scientific study that could be done with this subject. Um, yet Heineck saw the Air Force as, as incompetent and that they yielded nothing but indifference on accusations on sightings, and they followed up with shoddy research. And this continued after Edward Rappelt resigned his position as director of Blue Book. And following Rappelt was another great director, Major Friend, who Heineck had kind words for. However, the other three directors Heineck saw, he saw them as debunkers and skeptics, and, uh, that, and he believed that that was not what the project needed at the time. And one of the worst, one of the worst that Heineck criticized highly was Major um, Quintanilla, 
Um, I, I, I don't really know how to say his name. Um, but he was definitely thought to be the worst. And Hynek explained that, that he threw away any conclusion that didn't line up with his own hypothesis. And you don't have to be a scientist to know that that's the wrong way to do research. That's the wrong way to understand something. That's the wrong way to conduct a reasonable uh, you know, scientific study or experiment it's the scientific method. I mean, come on, you cannot just throw away um, someone else's hypothesis or someone else's evidence or someone else's conclusion. You know, that's, uh So Heineck didn't like the guy. I sure don't like the guy. And uh, Heineck wrote that one of the major's uh, subordinates, that, that he was the epitome of conviction before trial. And, uh, and anything he didn't understand or agree with he deemed as being in a psychological category, um, that which was just defined as being a crackpot case. Um, and it seemed that anyone working with Heineck that did not consider UFOs as a real possibility were just looked at as incompetent and ignorant on the topic. You know, I agree with Heineck. <clears throat> I mean, this is this is how incompetent and, and ignorant you know people really are. Um, there was a report once um, of two highway patrol officers who tracked a UFO for 80 miles. 80 miles, you guys. 80 That's like an hour of drive time, you know, tracking a UFO. And, uh, and they were told by their higher-ups that uh, that night they chased a star in the sky. That all they were doing was chasing a star. You know, both deputies claimed it was a low-flying, fast-moving object. Why would our tax-paying dollars go to paying some deputies to go on a wild goose chase after stars? It's literally the most embarrassing story and cover-up I've ever heard. And man, do I feel so much distaste and distrust for our government and our superiors. Like, everyone is either lying or hiding something. It's it's just disturbing. It's disturbing to think that academy-trained highway patrol officers would chase stars for 80 miles. Who would do that? So I, I completely feel for Heineck and his hatred for those that cannot consider possibilities, especially when they have not been scientifically tested or proven. You know, you, you cannot throw things away. You have to consider everything until it is tested and proven or uh, or debunked um, but so guys these projects sign uh, sign or project grudge and and project blue book they are our country's UFOs you know they are the UFO children and when they were in action they made progress but progress was halted ultimately by the Robertson panel and since then, progress has deteriorated to nothing. Aliens and UFOs are still laughed at. And the topic is still not as serious as it should be. It sucks that Heineck had to die in a plane crash while reenacting a dogfight with a UFO. Another report of something that actually happened. And Heineck went to investigate and while doing so, lost his life. Heineck fought for our freedom of information. I just, I really think we, he deserves an applause. And, uh, but Heineck, he had the right idea when it came to aliens and UFOs. And, and it's just sad he's no longer with us. But he, he'd be really old. He, he wouldn't be with us anyways. But it's just sad that he's, you know, that he died in such a way. But at least he went out in a blaze of glory, probably. So, uh, but guys, we must take up the mantle that Heineck left us. There's people out there like Secure Team 10 and Stephen Greer, Bob Lazar and Jeremy Corbell. You know, right now they're at the forefront and they're the leaders in this subject. And Heineck, he would be proud. He definitely would. And here on Deeper Meaning Time, we're trying to do the same thing. You know, let's follow in Heineck's footsteps and take ufology to the next level. It's with you listeners and your interest in the topic that will grow this into something Heineck would be proud of. 
And uh, so, guys, before we go today, um, I definitely want to tell you about an amazing video I watched on Secure Team 10. I, I definitely don't want to forget this. It has revolved around YouTube for a minute now, and it's being dubbed as one of the best UFO videos ever. And uh, I, and this is not a joke, you guys. It is definitely one of the best. I've watched it over and over again. I mean, it it's incredible footage, whether it's true or not. Um, and there's another YouTuber, Brian Hanley. He works to debunk the debunkers who uh, say that uh, the video is faked or uh, they actually believe that it was a bug on the camera screen or, or a bug out in the field when they were recording. And uh, it's not. It's not, you guys. It's, it, it's real. And it's either military or something not from here. Uh, but it is some awesome footage. And they, they even believe that the craft that was caught on film was exceeding speeds of 9,000 miles per hour. You know, crazy fast. Um, it's definitely, it's, it's awesome footage, really, you guys. I'm going to leave a link in the description so you can check it out for yourself. Um, but uh, along with the UFO, the ufology, and the UFO community that's going on right now, there's there's always talk of, of sightings and things that are happening, but something that isn't really discussed that much I guess is is why you know why are these why are they here um, you know there's a lot of a lot of people that definitely truly believe that there is um, something else out there that there's something more uh, that meets the eye with this universe and with uh, sort of with life um, and everything going on around us and it, it's it's a fascinating discussion you can have with someone who is also as curious as you are about it um and you may there are tons of different views and, and things i've talked about but you may you know get into a conversation with someone saying that uh you know ufos are here because they're they are our they are our uh, our true ancestors they are actually they are us um in a sense from the future and, uh, and I know I've talked about that. I talked about that on the Bob Lazar episode. And, and that could definitely very well be a reason for why uh, we see UFOs, why UFOs are reported, why it's a thing, why, why it's been around, why it's been a subject for so long. Um, there are tons of ideas that, uh, that have stemmed from our ancient ancestors and, the, and our history and how we have seen and we've uh, we've documented you know drawings and pictures paintings um, carvings all kinds of things things that depict uh, in, in some things things that depict helicopters uh, some some different Egyptian carvings I'm sure you've seen it um, helicopters there's there's Sumerian pictures of what look like literally spaceships there there's all kinds of depictions of UFOs that have happened um, that our ancient ancestors documented. Um, people from Mesopotamia time, you know, they, they did document things. We may have lost a lot of stuff, but we do understand that they, they were definitely more in touch with Earth, with the Earth and with, uh, with what was going on around them. And perhaps, uh, perhaps it was just a a, a way for for them to, to communicate with with uh, these beings or whoever it is that, that people believe created us you know they um, but then that's just one one theory you know another theory is is that we we came from Mars that originally we started on Mars and then we uh, Mars ended up uh, just getting so to the point where it was so old that it was no longer um, habitable so they moved to earth and, and in the process of moving to earth you know decided oh we're going to also expand into the rest of the cosmos and and so they seeded the earth and they left and they've come back from time to time and when they come back they uh, they gave different societies advanced advancements they gave them technological advancements did you guys know that some people believe that quantum computing and quantum power uh, was given to us by extraterrestrials. 
uh, something totally bizarre that I can I can see it. I really can. I can see it, but uh, I don't. I just don't think it, it's the case. Not not this time. But uh, there, you know, so that's one one thing right there that uh, that people talk about is just the whole Mars subject that we came from there, and uh, I think it is a a good possibility, but. I more so believe that probably what it was was a, a much older, older race of human beings came from somewhere else. Realized, just like we realize that there are exoplanets out there, realized that Earth was very habitable and would be perfect for human life. Uh, could have been that they brought us here, um, planted and left. It could also just be that plain old evolution happened. Plain old evolution, without anything else, that we we are human, and we are the only type of human. That the other species that would be out there would be, uh, well, there are claims that there are that the other species are reptilian, that they're pale grays, that they are the grays, and I just some of that really seems like hoopla to me, especially the reptilian culture. You know, I don't know about all that, but. I guess it very well could be. There's so much weird and strange evidence about the reptilian clan, about how they're shapeshifters, and that, uh, you know, even if you, you you think they're real, you would never know because you'd never see one in person. You know, they're so good at hiding themselves. Uh, that See, that, that kind of stuff, I don't know. That, that seems a little more far-fetched. And really, it could just be the good old scientific way of just plain biology, just our evolution from uh, apes to, to human beings to what we are today. I'm, I'm not really, sh I'm not entirely sure. I, I do happen to think, though, that there is definitely a species of some kind that does visit us from time to time, and whether they're visiting us, you know, in their craft, and then they're actually here, or they're sending robots, or they're sending probes, which more than likely they are sending probes. Um, because that's what we do. We fly drones everywhere. Why would we go, you know, when we can fly a drone? All of our satellites up in space are piloted from the ground, you know, any type of um, probe mission, you know, it's piloted from the ground. It's not, nobody's on board. So it would make sense to me that, that the things that we do in our technological advancements and in our evolutions somebody who's more technologically advanced would have already done those things. Um, and so it makes more sense to me that what it is is UFOs are just another advanced species, a species that is a little more advanced than we are. And I find it interesting when I look up at night and I see the star Sir Sirius um, and, it, and it twinkles twinkles a lot and it twinkles really uh, brightly vividly multiple colors green and red and white almost as if it's a plane but it's not a plane it never moves it's in the same position every night it's still just twinkling away now what if there's a, a race or a, a type of species that came from there you know what if the star twinkles so much because it's got a Dyson sphere around it, that they're so technologically advanced, they're harnessing the power of the sun and all around the sun, the uh, actual radiation of the sun. And if you don't know anything about Dyson sphere, you know, look it up. It's a pretty interesting uh, thing that when a species gets to a point of technological advancement, they can actually create one of these spheres in space around their solar system star. And as it rotates, it would create a dimming effect of the star, of the starlight. Um, <clears throat> what I, if that's what I'm seeing? I don't know. It, but it is bizarre, though, how much the star twinkles. Um, sometimes I almost want to write down all the colors it turns into just to see if maybe it's sending Morse code or something. But um, the the likelihood is is that there isn't a species coming from there. That if they're coming from somewhere, it's probably very far away. And what they would be doing is sending probes. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, that they would just send probes all the way out here. But they would definitely be seeing us, and they would have to be transmitting information back. So 
why hasn't anybody come to say hi? You know, if there's, if we're so interested in, in, in finding more people and understanding that there's more out there, why wouldn't other groups, other civilizations or species be interested in, in finding others? Um, it would make sense to me that if you were a more technologically advanced species, you would find another species and be so excited. You would share with them all you could, all, all anything that, you know, maybe, you know, you can't, you know, share the same language. Nothing's the same. Everything's different. But you've met someone else that shares life the same way, that lives the same type of conscious life, that can think the way we do. We can act the way we act and things like that, you know. If you were a species, um, wouldn't you be super excited to meet someone else? I mean, it's kind of like what, you know, ufologists are. They're, you know, maybe they're just dreamers. Maybe they're just hoping for um, a greater divine intervention from, from space, something to come down to help us to sort out our problems, to rid rid the government of its evil to save us from the government to free us from our enslavement who knows who knows what it is you know but the point of the matter is is that uh, they are out there they are visiting and they are coming in and it doesn't matter how much the government tries to downplay it the evidence is there the evidence persists and there is ongoing evidence every day that comes up on YouTube Again, Tyler from Secure Team 10 does a great job of really diving into the information and figuring it out. Um, and there may even be uh, a species that lives on the moon. You know, who knows? That That's a really big theory, too, that they're, uh, the reason the U.S. never went back to the moon was just because of the, the fact that we met someone else there, that we met another species on the moon that said that this is our moon, this is our satellite, this is where we observe you humans from, do not come back here. Um, and uh, supposedly they lived on the dark side of the moon, so hopefully China's little rover will find some, take some pictures of, uh, of some other species there. And, uh, and, and Ingo Swan talks about in Project uh, Sun, Sunstreak about... Um, remote viewing the moon, being on the moon and actually seeing a, a someone else there, a being of some kind. He didn't know what, but then he could see it staring back at him, you know. Maybe there is things on the moon. Maybe the government isn't telling us all the information. But hopefully with our, you know, next moon visits and everything that's uh, coming up here in the future, maybe we'll get more details and we'll get more research done, more information about the moon. Maybe there is something going on. Maybe it is hollow, you know. Maybe there is a species that lives on the moon that is a older species. I'm not sure. But uh, I don't know. With everything going on here on Earth, it, it's, it's really hard to spend time and really think about whether or not something would be actually on the moon. Like, I would definitely much rather think that uh, it comes from a different planet that's similar to Earth somewhere else in the universe. But... It's got to be there. Somebody else has got to be out there. There's no way it's just us. There's no way. Um, and I, I I, wanted to, if you guys didn't see it, just wanted to comment real quick while I was talking about the moon. I went uh, I went outside about 12.20 or so uh, a couple Sundays or Saturdays ago to uh, look at the super blood wolf moon. Um, and it was really cool. Um, and if you didn't see it, you know, I'm sorry. I wish you would have saw it. I took a couple pictures um, through my binoculars that really weren't that great. I got on my telescope, but there was, it was cloudy. Um, I couldn't get my finder lined up right. It just, nothing was working out. So it, it didn't happen. But I got a really good look at it, and it was a very cool thing. Uh, it actually looked almost like um, like a star and all the stars were out all around it and it was very dim I could barely even find it in the sky it was so dim but there was this big dark red moon um, it was very cool very cool and so you know, space does some really cool things um, and that's one of my favorite parts about it. and maybe UFOs just are coming to see how beautiful earth is maybe they're not here for anything else I, I doubt it, but uh, 
I hope that uh, within the you know within the years to come we can bring about more information and we can understand more things and hopefully we can innovate our technology and we're not going to kill ourselves you know but uh, guys I want to uh, I just want to say you know this one one more thing here before we go the future is today and the future is yours. And um, like Prince said, you know, when the elevator tries to break you down, go crazy and punch the higher floor. Um, you know, my friends, you are so you are capable of so much more. Uh, you can ascend higher in your life, in all places of your life. All you have to do is apply yourself. We can all apply ourselves. We can apply ourselves as a community as a society, and we can grow our future into whatever we want. Um, and But hopefully we can grow a better future, one that isn't so concerned about politics, one that isn't concerned about uh, social media, one that is concerned about science, one that's concerned about space, our future, this planet, what we're doing to it, what we're going to do for it in the future to make it better um, and it starts with channels like ours and it starts with channels like um like secure teams and like other little small channels out there and guys you don't need to make excuses you don't need to whine or blame others for your problems you take charge of your life and you do something for yourself and help each other out along the way and, and you guys, you can help me out by helping me grow this channel, by supporting me uh, on Anchor or at DeeperMeaningTime.com. And guys, please like, share, comment on my website. You can send me your thoughts to DeeperMeaningTime at gmail.com. I would love to share your ideas and suggestions for future episodes. And you guys stay tuned um, for the next episode as I sit down with a fellow deep thinker as we pick each other's brains over our ancient ancestors and the history of the earth. But uh, until then, let's keep the discussion going, because that's what Deep Remaining Time is all about, exploring the endless curiosities and possibilities we all think about every day. And I hope we discover all the deeper meanings that I must offer. Guys, my name's Evan, and thanks for listening.